Hello, people of the way, blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Joshua chapter 4, the book of Joshua chapter 4. We continue in our study here and understand Israel. They're in a time of war here, uh, but they're a different Israel. If you've been walking with us for a while, you remember our previous studies. And in our previous studies, you see how during the wilderness, how Israel Change. They transformed uh, a deeper understanding in terms of learning to fear the Lord. You see, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, as the Bible teaches. And, you know, knowing that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, well, what happens after that? What happens when the, there's the fear of the Lord? And just as we studied in our previous studies through uh, uh, Exodus and uh, Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, through the fear of the Lord, one learns to trust the Lord, deeper trust the Lord, and then also to fall in love with the Lord and you know much deeper. It doesn't happen with everybody. We don't see the love of the Lord spread in everybody. And I love, I mean, it, I, it's sad, but I also love it. The reason why is because God never makes robots. He never makes robots. He never says, you will be my subject or, you know, or and, and that's just it. You have no choice in the matter. I love that because it gives you and me opportunity to fall deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper in love with the Lord. Now, in saying that, I'm not advocating the law. Listen to our study through Galatians. You'll understand. I'm not advocating the law, but understand that the law points to Christ. The law is fulfilled in Christ in accordance to the promises of God unto Abraham, unto Isaac, unto Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. And so we start here in chapter four, Joshua, Joshua chapter four, verse one. And it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan. Now, this is beautiful because, you know, you see how, how they had completely crossed over the Jordan and completely in the Hebrew is completely, but it's a little bit deeper. It's to be clean, to be accomplished, to be made perfect. Does that sound familiar? being made perfect in Christ. Remember, we study these passages as new covenant believers abiding in Christ. And so from the lens of the new covenant and standing on the new covenant, we look back and we study these passages and understand them knowing that the old interprets the new, the new interprets the old, and we have the full counsel of the word of God. Genesis to Revelation, verse by verse, precept upon precept, line by line. But to be made perfect in Christ. Remember, Israel had two passings, two crossings. One was the Red Sea and the other was the Jordan River. Or, you know, is the Jordan River what we're seeing here in Joshua 4. But what about you and me? You see, there's baptism. But then there's also another passage for us. The first passage is baptism. You know, it's not just like water baptism is like, you know, in a in a traditional sense. Understand that water baptism, it's much deeper. That's your gravesite. That's your gravesite. You go in the water, you believe in Jesus Christ, you know, just like the remember the eunuch with Philip in the book of Acts? He's like, what's stopping me from being baptized? And, you know, Philip is like, you know, if you love the Lord, and you fear the Lord with, with all your heart, with all your soul, let, let's do it. And so they go into the water and all of a sudden the unit goes in the water and water baptism, that's your burial. You go down in the water and that's the old nature. 
That's the old you. You reckon the old man dead. You reckon the old woman dead. And that is your old nature, dead to sin. And then all of a sudden you come come up out of the water and you're a new creation in Christ where the Lord goes back to work in terms of building up and, you know, furthering to be made complete. But it's a work of faith. It's spiritual. You see, just how we say you, 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 you hear us teach about, you know, born into Adam and born into Christ. You see, born into Adam, it's every single person is born into Adam, born into sin. You and me, the, the, the Lord forms us in our mother's wombs. And, you know, back in the day, depending on how old you are, you know, the, the Lord forms us in our mother's wombs, puts, puts us together, the, the bones, the sinews, every little piece. And then we come out of our mother's womb and we're born into Adam. Born into Adam. Now, is the Lord done building? Is the Lord done putting together? It's a different subject matter altogether in terms of the flesh. Because according to the flesh, that's it. But according to the spirit, there is more. But in order for that to happen, one must be born again and when you're born again just like nicodemus you know like lord what does that mean does that you know how could a grown man go into the mother's womb again it's impossible and you know the lord was like kind of like taken aback like you know like uh, nicodemus nicodemus you're you call yourself a teacher and you don't understand these things and then to understand that to be born again born of the spirit and then all of a sudden the lord goes back to work just as he put together the bones and the sinews when we were little, little, little tiny peanut. And the Lord puts us together. We come out of our mother's womb. And then all of a sudden we're born again. You believe in Jesus Christ. You repent. You're born again. And the Lord's like straight up, let's get back to business. Being made complete. Being made complete except it's spiritual. And don't forget the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then you see the gifts of the Spirit. And just like the Lord puts, you know, a little ear over here, he's forming you in your mother's womb. we got a little ear over here, a little ear over there, a little leg over here, a little leg over there, little eyes. I think I'll make the eyes white, uh, blue. I think I'll make the eyes uh, uh, brown, green, putting a little nose here, putting, you know, little dimples here and all these little things. But born again into Christ. Now we have the gifts of the spirit. Don't forget the greatest gift is love. So this guy's going to have, you know, wisdom. This lady's going to have like a, like a, 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 a deep faith. And, you know, there's a, a gift of prophecy. This guy's going to have the gift of prophecy. This, this lady is going to have the gift of interpretation. Or this boy is going to have the gift of interpretation. So the Lord continues to build. But it's spiritual gifts of the Spirit. You see, and it's so beautiful. And these are things that happen to you and me in the wilderness. And in the wilderness, understand that we're on a journey into paradise, into the promised land. So just as Israel has two crossings, Red Sea and then the promised land, you and me, we also have two crossings, baptism 
and entry into the promised land. And I speak of paradise. It's beautiful. To study the Old Testament through the lens of the New Covenant, it's beautiful. Because we have the full counsel of the Word of God. And not just the full counsel of the Word of God. We learn more about the character and the nature of our Lord. And so we see here in verse 1 that when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. Remember, when we look at the priesthood here, Understand, remember in Leviticus, when we studied Leviticus, and we made mention of Aboda, Aboda, Mishkan, remember? It's much deeper. It's not just warm bodies doing a job. It's not just warm bodies that, you know, hey, we need somebody over here, so, you know, here, you carry the ark. No, there's a very, very specific formula. Because if the formula is not right in the priesthood, and you, and, 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 and you touch the ark, you die. The formula's got to be right. Very specific instructions unto the tribes and understanding the difference between the the Levitical priesthood, the Kohanim. Very specific instructions because if somebody touches the ark and it's not in accordance to the blueprints, that person dies. You see? Very, very specific instructions. Very, very specific blueprints. Very, very specific formula i mean what if you know you're driving through a community and you know you you see a guy building a house and you see like a team of guys they're all working on the house and you see like you know the the concrete the foundation is laid and then you have the the framers then they're putting all the you know the the framework together but then you see another guy he's like off in la la land and he's you know Building the frames of like, you know, one side of the house. The other guys, they're putting, you know, wood frames on one side of the house. And you see this other guy on the other side and he's building a frame out of styrofoam. Styrofoam. And the dimensions are the exact same as the other side that they're using wood. The dimensions are the exact same. Are we the ones to say, well, the dimensions are the same, so it's good to go. It's in accordance to the blueprints. That's a good formula. No. Because it's styrofoam. What if it's multiple stories? One side, you know, is, you know, it's wood, the structure is safe. The other side, it's styrofoam. No, no, it's not load-bearing. It can't bear any loads. Because styrofoam, siding. Or styrofoam uh, framing. Very specific formula. Very specific formula and blueprints unto the workers. And very specific formula and you know uh, uh, blueprints of the of the workers, but then also of the task at hand. And so see here that we see here the. When the Lord is giving these very specific blueprints to Joshua in verse three, take for yourselves 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. 
You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. You see these instructions to Joshua, and now you see obedience from Joshua in verse 4. Then Joshua, this is the obedience side. So he hears from the Lord, and now you see him doing. In verse 4, you know, just like, you know, faith without works or, you know, let, let us not be hearers only. Because here in verse 3, or in verse 2 and 3, Joshua heard. Now we see in verse 4, Joshua doing. He hears and he, he does. He, he hears and he, there's action behind it. It's not works based. It's obedience based. You see, Joshua, he hears the instructions and now he's doing. In verse 4, then Joshua called the 12 men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder. According to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you, a sign among you. You see, it's very personal unto Israel because when the Lord made himself known, remember that there's signs for all the peoples and tribes that they could see. Because remember, Egypt was considered like almighty. Egypt, Pharaoh was considered God on earth. I mean, he was acknowledged as like, you know, there is none higher than Pharaoh. Egypt, don't mess with Egypt. And then the God of Israel made himself known and destroyed the might of Egypt. Now, when that happens, people have a choice to make. Canaanites, they have a choice to make. You know, like, I'm not going to mess with Pharaoh. And if I'm not going to mess with Pharaoh and the God of Israel messed up Pharaoh, I'm definitely gonna not going to mess with the God of Israel. In fact, some people will say, you know what? I'm done with the Canaanite gods. I'm done with Baal. I'm done with Molech. I am done with the asterisk. And you know what? I'm going to jump ship. I'm leaving this camp and I'm going to go into the camp of Israel. Don't forget, there are statutes in the law, stipulations, laws for Israel laws for Gentiles to be grafted into the camp of Israel, where the Lord says in accordance to his law, he says, when people jump ship, I'm paraphrasing, but in the law, statutes in the law, when people jump ship and abandon their gods and enter the camp and they want to enter the camp and be Israel, and in the law, the Lord says, don't shun them. He says, welcome them. You see? Jew and Gentile. And so, I meant, look at Jericho. The king of Jericho, he made his choice. And he's about ready to die. Remember, Israel is in a war footing here. The king of Jericho, he's about ready to die. But there's a citizen of Jericho where it's safe with her and it's in her home. And that is Rahab, former prostitute. See, see, she was a prostitute and she believed in the Lord. She acknowledged the Lord and who he is. And now she's safe and those in her home are safe. I mean, we're going to see that more, but remember the recon team that we looked at chapter two, Joshua chapter two, the recon team, 
You see, so there's signs for people to see and acknowledge the Lord or at least have the opportunity to acknowledge the Lord because Pharaoh, the Lord made himself known to Pharaoh and Pharaoh didn't yield to the Lord. His heart became hard. He hardened his heart and then God hardened his heart. But that wasn't the case with Rahab. It wasn't the case with Jethro. But then in verse 6, we see that this may be a sign among you. Now it's inside the camp. So you have signs for people to see, but then there's signs within the camp. Don't forget, Jesus is the one who says, a wicked and cruel generation, a perverse generation, adulterous and cruel generation seeks after a sign. But there are signs that still happen. And sometimes people say, well, I don't get it. Well, how can it be that, you know, the, the, that, you know, it's, it's a, a wicked and cruel generation that seeks after a sign, but then all of a sudden, like, these signs happen. How can that happen? Well, signs to believe is one thing, but signs while believing, that's a different subject matter. I mean, if you were to tell me about Jesus Christ, and say, yes, Jesus Christ loves you. You give me the gospel. And I say to you, well, I'm not going to believe. I'm going to keep doing my crack, my sex, my alcohol, my drugs, the whole nine yards. And I'm not going to believe unless you show me a sign. Now, I'm just giving an example. That's not me, but I'm just giving an example here. If that was, I couldn't be a pastor. If that was, I couldn't be a teacher. I would be disqualified and I would disqualify, disqualify myself had that been the case. Just giving an example. So you tell me about Jesus Christ and, you know, there's the sex, the drugs, alcohol. And I say, I'm not going to believe unless you show me a sign. Show me a sign that God is real and then I'll believe. Because what's happening is that I'm choosing darkness over the light. And, you know, that effectuates, you know, a, a, a wicked generation seeks after a sign. But then say, for example, you tell me about Jesus Christ, the good news, and I repent and I receive Jesus Christ and you lead me to the Lord and, you know, I pray and I receive the Lord and you've won my soul to Christ and then all of a sudden we're Christians. I'm now your brother in Christ and we grow and we mature together in Christ. But now, does that mean that signs are over? No. Signs will happen. Signs do happen. Miracles will happen. Miracles do happen. Healing does happen. Joy does happen. Restoration does happen. Which are miraculous in and of themselves. But it's not signs and miracles to believe. That would be, you know, like the example I gave earlier, that would be like if I choose darkness over the light. I'm not going to believe in Jesus unless I see a sign. That's wickedness because I'm choosing darkness and, you know, refusing to believe unless you show me a sign. That's darkness. But then you tell me the good news and I come to Christ and we're both Christians and, you know, I'm your brother in Christ. You're my brother in Christ or you're my sister in Christ. And, you know, we're Christians, we're brothers, brother and brother, brother, sister, whatever. And then, you know, we, we grow in Christ that's not to say, okay, we can't expect signs and miracles because signs and miracles do happen. Look at the gifts of the Spirit. 
which are miraculous. You see? So, signs and miracles in order to believe, bad. Signs and miracles while believing, good. We have to understand formula, formula, formula. And so now we see in verse 6 that this may be a sign among you. You see, signs happen for all the world to see. But now there's something more personal because it's now in the camp. It's now in Israel that this may be a sign among you. Well, what are the signs? Well, it's the stones, the 12 stones. Remember what the Lord gave the blueprints to Joshua? Take the 12 stones. And now Joshua, in obedience, he heard the word. Now he's doing the word. You know, see, let us not be hearers only, but let us also be doers of the word. Now you see Joshua doing, and in so doing, he's telling the uh, the 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 the, uh, the twelve from each tribe, one from each tribe. And he says in verse six that this may be a sign among you, when your children ask in time to come, saying, "What do these stones mean to you?" You see, for the next generation. Stone here is Eben in the Hebrew, which is a stone or a building stone. We see an example in 1 Samuel chapter 7 where we see Eben, stone, except it's Eben Eser, help, stone of help. You know the song that we sing? Here I raise my Ebenezer. That's Ebenezer. Eben, stone. Eser, help. Eben Eser, stone of help. But this is Eben uh, Zikron. This this one in Joshua uh, chapter four. It's Eben Zikron. It's stone uh, stones of remembrance. Eben Eser, stone of help. Eben uh, Zikron, stone of remembrance. And Eben is a building stone as a uh, 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 building stone as foundational. But amidst these stones, something is still missing. These foundational stones. Something is still missing. The cornerstone. That comes later. And I speak of Jesus Christ. You see, it's the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees having the full counsel of Torah. Having the full counsel of the Old Testament, the, 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 uh, the prophets, the major prophets, the minor prophets, Torah, the uh, poetic verses, it's the scribes, the Sadducees, and Pharisees who should have, should have, should have heard Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry. They should have heard Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry speaking the things that he spoke of, and they should have been the ones to Hear what Jesus says and, you know, just as being a good watchman, verifying, going back to the synagogue and, you know, making sure that the scrolls and seeing, you know, open up the scrolls and seeing like, okay, there's this and Jesus Christ says this and the scrolls say this and they put two and two together and understand, oh my goodness, the Messiah has arrived. The Messiah has arrived. Son of David, Son of Man, Son of God, Lamb of God. And it's the religious leaders, the scribes, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the priesthood. They should have been the ones to say, everybody bow down and worship him because the Son of God is here. The Messiah is here. But that didn't happen. You see, passage like like this in Joshua 4. 
Amidst these stones, there's the cornerstone that is missing. And then to hear Jesus Christ speak about the cornerstone, likening, likening it to himself. Instead of the religious leaders saying, oh my goodness, the Messiah is here, everybody worship him. In the course of time, what did they say? Crucify him. You see? They were blind guides. And so we see here in verse 7, then you shall answer them. Remember, it's a, when the kids are asking, you see, like in verse 6, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in times to come, saying, what do these stones mean to you? In verse 7, then you shall answer them, the next generation of righteousness. Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be a memorial to the children of Israel forever. Ben Zikron, stones of remembrance. Twelve stones. Beautiful. And just as we see with Joshua, he hears the word and he's a doer of the word. Remember in verse 2 and 3, he hears the word. And in verse 4, he does the word. He, you see, uh, he hears the word and he does the word. You also see it in the camp of Israel. You see it in these 12 because you see in verse 8, and the children of Israel did so. Just as Joshua commanded, you see, leadership matters. Leadership under Joshua, it's safe for the camp of Israel. Just as Joshua commanded. Now you see Israel, they hear, and now they do. And we see in verse 8, And the children of Israel did so just as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones from the midst of the Jordan, as the Lord had spoken to Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them, remember, on their shoulders, carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And 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 laid them down there. You see, everything as the Lord instructed in accordance to the blueprints. So beautiful. You see, Joshua hears... Joshua obeys. The people hear, the people obey. You see? Under the leadership of Joshua, beautiful. Under the leadership of uh, 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 Moses, beautiful. Under the leadership of Aaron, after he repented from the golden calf, beautiful. You see? Under the leadership of Korah, not good, deadly. You follow Korah, you you uh, 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 obey Korah, then the earth's going to open up and swallow you and you're going to die. Remember our study through Numbers? Remember the study through Numbers? Uh, Korah just thought, well, you know, the, the Lord can, the Lord speaks to us too. So, you know, the, the, the Lord speaks to us too. And, you know, thus said the Lord. And all of a sudden the earth opens up. No more Korah. He made his choice. And the Lord responded. Deadly for Korah. Deadly for those who followed Korah. And what's so beautiful about Korah. I mean it's, it's, it's sad. It's deadly. It's scary. It's fear invoking. 
But what's so beautiful is you have the sons of Korah in the Psalms. Descendants of Korah. You see, they made their choice as well. And, you know, I say this to my younger brothers and sisters in Christ. You might be 10 years old, 15 years old, 17 years old. I don't know. Male, female, I don't know. But sometimes, you know, you believe in the Lord, you love the Lord, you fear the Lord. But then you understand like, wow, my mom is crazy. And you know, like, wow, my mom is crazy, but she's disobedient to the Lord and you love her. And, but you love the Lord more. Or you realize, man, my dad is crazy. And you love him, but it's like he's disobedient to the Lord. Maybe the parents are non-believers. Maybe they are believers, but they're disobedient. Oh, I believe in Jesus Christ, and we're going to go party tonight. And, you know, here, I want you to go to the corner and buy some crack for me, son. Go to the corner and buy some, you know, uh, marijuana for me, daughter. And yes, it is a biblical truth that we honor our parents. But it is also true. That to honor the parents means it doesn't mean just a blind obedience to parents. See, a, a lot of parents get in, get themselves in trouble and they get their families in trouble, get their kids in trouble because they say, oh, you know, son, daughter, you have to obey me. You have to obey me. The Lord says, you know, honor your parents, honor your father, honor your mother. So therefore, go to the corner and, you know, buy me some marijuana. You see, remember, the formula has got to be right. That's like the styrofoam framing. So if you're like a young, you know, you're 15 years old and, you know, you want to honor your parents, honor your dad, honor your mom, but except your mom wants you to go get some crack from the corner, you say, no, mom, I love you, but no, I love the Lord more and I have to obey him. And I'll obey you when your instructions align to the word of God. But I love you still. I honor you. I love you. I respect you. And I will obey you absolutely when your instructions align to the word of God. Because I love you, but I love the Lord more. Dad, I love you, but I love the Lord more. I'll, I'll, I'll go to the store and I'll buy you, you know, some milk. I'll go to the store and I'll buy you a candy bar. You want a hamburger? Fine, I'll go to the burger store and I'll, I'll buy you a burger. But you want crack? That ain't happening. You want your marijuana? That ain't happening. You see? Because there's a big problem happening in the younger generation. Teenagers. Even younger than teenagers. You know, 10 years old. 10 year olds. 8 year olds who are offered sexual favors at school. You know, an eight-year-old is in school. A girl comes to the eight-year-old and says, you know, I'll do this. I'll perform this with you, like sexual favors. And eight years old, they're in public school. And you know, an eight-year-old boy is sitting down in his seat and a girl comes and says, I'll do this sexual favor for you. And the eight-year-old boy has no idea what it is. And you have an eight-year-old girl talking to him about sexual favors. Performing certain things sexually. Eight years old. 
The eight-year-old goes, goes home, talks to his dad. Dad, this girl said this. I have no idea what this means. What is this? You know, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, like, you know, uh, like uh, uh, drawing. I'm thinking about, you know, playing with Legos. And she's talking about things. I have no idea what it's about. And a dad who can come alongside the son and say, okay, son, this is what's happening. But to train him up to be a warrior. But you see, that's not happening. That's not happening. There's a disconnect. Parents are not training their kids. And sometimes the parents themselves are compromised. Because they're in a the same sin or a deeper sin, and they're, they're remember when we when we studied our warfare passages in the Old Testament and New Testament, and you know stay home. You know there's gonna be a major war. Everybody's in formation, and you know if the formula's not right in you, okay, you're out of the ranks. Go home. You're not going to engage in this battle because you're compromised. It's not to say like you're going to get, you're going to not get engage in this fight forever. It's to say, okay, in this fight, no, because you're compromised. Go home, get right with the Lord. And then the next fight, then you can join, but you have to be right with the Lord. The formula has got to be right. You see, so you have these kids, eight years old. He goes to his dad, dad, I have no idea. She said this word, she said this word, and I have no idea what this means. Now, if the dad is defunct, if the dad is disqualified, where is his son going to go? What if the mom is disqualified? Not disqualified, but what if she's defunct and uh, 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 defunct and compromised and in a sense disqualified? From that particular element of combat. Not for her. On her progeny. The next generation. Where is this eight-year-old boy going to go for information? He's going to go to his friends. Hey, this girl told me this. What does this mean? What kind of counsel do you think he's going to get from his friends? What if he goes online? I don't know what this means. I'm going to look it up online and see what it means. What do you think is going to pop up? What kind of images do you think are going to pop up for this eight-year-old mind? For eight-year-old eyes to see, what kind of things do you think he will find that he will discover? You see? It's very important for all of us to have these understandings and for this younger generation, my beautiful young brothers, my beautiful young sisters, understand the concept of formula. Understand the concept of formula. Because you might have nowhere to go. You're 12 years old, 13 years old, 15 years old. And you're in the thick of battle, the thick of battle, major, major warfare at school with your friends, wherever it is you are, major, major warfare, sometimes even inside the church. And when you understand formulas, you, you might be 12 years old, 13 years old, 15, you might be the one to go to your mom and dad and say, mom and dad, you know, I know you've gone to this church forever, but the formula's wrong. 
Look, the pastor's crazy. The pastor's on crack. The pastor's addicted to his sex. The pastor's addicted to his alcohol. The pastor's on his third marriage and the previous wives are still alive. Mom, dad, we got to get out of this church. You see, sometimes a lot of parents, they kind of get in this elitist mentality. Oh, I'm the parent, so you got I, because I'm older than you, I automatically know what's best for you. I'm the mature one here. But that's not the case. Not always the case. To my young brothers, my young sisters, be wise in these times. And be of good cheer. You say, how, how can I have good cheer when my mom is defunct, my dad is defunct, and... We go to this church and they're defunct. How can I be of good cheer? Well, in this you can. That scripture is being fulfilled. You see? And not just that scripture is being fulfilled. I mean, that, that's good, but... The good promises are effectuated in you. Because you have eyes to see and ears to hear. Be of good cheer. My young brothers, my young sisters, be of good cheer. You see, obedience. To, to get to this point in Israel, to get to this point, I mean, if you're listening for the first time, I mean, it, I mean, it, it, this, these are deep truths. But it's much deeper if you've been walking with us for a while. Because to get to this point, understand it was through chastisement. I mean, yes, there's the two crossings, the two passings on the Red Sea. And praise be to the Lord. But to get to this point, the Jordan River, it's a lot has happened. A lot of chastisement. Remember Phineas when the plague was going through the camp and beautiful Phineas with his javelin, with his spear. Remember how he stood for the Lord and put an end to that plague that was spreading through the camp as a result of sin. Remember the Lord is reactionary. But who is it that will stand? And this was young Phineas. This was an old man Phineas. And that's what I love so much about Yes, we see the camp of Israel. But within the camp of Israel, we see like, wow, look at look at Moses, look at Joshua, look at Aaron after repentance, look at Phineas. Look at Rahab the prostitute who's grafted into the camp of Israel. Not yet, but you know, I mean I'm getting ahead of myself. We're gonna get there. We kind of touched on it in our the recon chapter in Joshua chapter two. Because we looked at the ultimate beauty of Rahab included in the lineage of Rahab. Remember our study from Joshua 2? You say, but she's a prostitute. How could this be? What about you? What about me? Not to say that, you know, there's prostitution there, but I meant, what about the your past sin, my past sin? See, there's a big problem when Christians get on a high horse. Never forget the path from which you were saved. 
the path that we were saved from. You see? And knowing that and understanding that, we can have compassion on those who are in those paths to rescue them. Just like we see with Rahab. And so you see obedience in the camp of Israel. It's so beautiful. Joshua, he hears, he does. The twelve, they hear, they do. The people, they hear, they do. You see? Now something else happens here in verse 9. Notice. Then Joshua. We see here in verse 9. Then Joshua set up. 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood and they are there to this day. Very interesting what we see here in verse 9. So you see, 12 stones were taken from the Jordan and 12 stones were placed in the Jordan. Very interesting. 12 stones from 12 stones in. If you've been walking with us for a while, you may remember our study through the book of Revelation. 12 and 12. 12 tribes, 12 apostles. A shadow of the things to come. Entry into the promised land. Entry into paradise, a shadow of the things to come. Just like we see the cornerstone as a shadow of the things to come. Don't forget the 12 apostles, a shadow of the things to come. The 12 apostles who are servants in the master's house, who give glory to the cornerstone, who give glory to the son of the most high God. His name is Jesus Christ. All these things as a shadow of the things to come. In verse 10, So the priests who bore the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished. Remember, Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan. Now, if you hear me say that, you're like, what does that mean? Listen to our study through Leviticus and you'll understand more. Remember, to be Complete is to, uh, or finish is to be complete and which is to be clean and accomplished and, you know, to be accomplished and to be made perfect. Understanding that the cornerstone, speaking of Jesus Christ, he is the author and finisher or the author and completer of our faith. We grow and mature in Christ. Until everything was finished in verse 10, we see that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua and the people hurried and crossed over. Then it came to pass in verse 11. When all the people had completely crossed over that the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over in the presence of the people. So remember in chapter 3 where the commands were given, the specific instructions, you know, don't go near. Don't go near the ark, you know, when you see it at a distance and it's lifted up and it's exalted, then you go and you follow. Uh, But, you know, it's very specific instructions. 
And now the ark, it's, it's uh, the people, it's, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the Kohanim, or the, the, uh, uh, the priesthood, you know, Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan, the priesthood, they're in the water, the water opens, and, you know, there's dry ground, the water heaps up, you know, at a distance, the water heaps up, and Israel passes on dry ground. And so we see here in verse 12, and the men of Reuben, the men of Yad, and half the tribe of Manasseh crossed over armed before the children of Israel as Moses had, has, had spoken to them. Remember, these are the tribes when they went to Moses and they were like, hey, you know, this is, this is good land, Moses. We want to stay here. Is that okay, Moses? Can we just stay here? And Moses sought the face of the Lord. And then Moses comes back and says, yeah, it's okay. You know, you guys can stay here. This is permissible, but you still got to cross over. You still got to cross over and you still got to join in the fight. You know, this isn't a way to get out of the fight. It's not like, you know, there's a war and you're going to go to another country to avoid the war. No, we're going to go to war. We're going to fight and you're going to join in the fight and you're going to be in the fight. And then when the fight is done, then you can come back and this land can be for you. You see, it was permissible. Moses went to the Lord and the Lord says, yes, this is permissible, but they still got to fight. Moses comes back, yeah, this is permissible, but you still got to fight. And now you see in verse 12, you see obedience in Reuben, in Gad, and half of Manasseh. They crossed over armed. You see, armed. Armed before the children of Israel as Moses had spoken to them. In verse 13, about 40,000 prepared for war. Translates as equipped for war. Crossed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. Remember, we studied in chapter 2, the recon team. The recon team comes back. They give a report. And it's like, okay, we're ready to go. Now, understand too that this is loaded. Because I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while... And you remember our study in the book of Numbers. Remember the counting in the, in the, in the book of Numbers in chapter one and two, the early chapters where the census was taken. And when the census was taken, there's, you know, count the number of men who are able to go to war. And they had a lot of people. So you take a guy from there, take a warrior from there, like the, 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 the biggest guy in the bunch. Big arms, big legs, and, you know, tough. He's got the armor, and it's like, wow, this looks like a warrior. And then you take a guy from here in Joshua chapter 4. And this the same girth. A big guy, big arms, big legs, the same girth. And you look at these two guys. The only difference is the span of 40 years. You look at these two guys. Now, with carnal eyes, they look exactly the same. With carnal eyes, they look exactly the same. With carnal eyes. But with spiritual eyes, they're not the same. They look the same. They got the same girth. They got the same muscles. They got the same big legs. They got the same weapons. They got the same armament. They got the same. They look exactly the same. Surely these are mighty, mighty warriors. But with spiritual eyes, they're not the same. Because the one from 40 years ago, from the book of Numbers, the census, he's afraid of the Canaanites. 
Instead of fearing the Lord, he fears the Canaanites. He is not the same. The one here in Joshua 4, he doesn't fear the Canaanites. He's ready. He's armed. Just like we see in verse 12 and 13. Armed, equipped for war, ready for battle. You see? Except he has the fear of the Lord. He doesn't fear the Canaanites. He fears the Lord. Now I say, you know, you know, 40 years ago, you had the you know big arms, big legs, got the, you know, just the, like you look at it, it's like, whoa, this is like a prized fighter. But he's not. Because he fears the Canaanites. Now we come 40 years later, we're in Joshua 4. And say there's a guy of the same girth. Big legs, big arms, like the, the choicest of warriors. But what if it's a guy who's got the noodle arms, the noodle legs, little tiny noodle legs, linguini arms, linguini legs. Still a mighty warrior. Why? Because he fears the Lord. He doesn't fear the Canaanites. Little tiny noodle legs, noodle arms, and he fears the Lord. A mighty, mighty warrior. And that's what's so beautiful about studying the Old Testament from the lens of the New Covenant. Because I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you're male, female. Remember, in Christ, no male, female. You could have little, little tiny noodle arms. I mean, you flex your arm and a little pea-sized lump comes up. And that's your bicep. When you fear the Lord, do you love the Lord? Do you know how mighty you are? In Christ? And then comes maturing in Christ and growing in, in Christ and learning to be equipped and prepared for war, a fight. You see? Remember the empty tomb and the scaredy cat men? You see the beautiful, tough warrior woman, w- women. It's powerful. Don't forget the second census in numbers. First census, no women. Second census, women. You see, first census, dead. First generation, dead. Second generation, life. Passage into the promised land. beautiful and so we see here in verse 14 on that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel and they feared him or they had reverence for him as they had feared Moses or had reverence for Moses all the days of his life you see leadership matters The people following Moses, good. The people following Joshua, good. The people following Korah, bad. Understand the formula. Remember, it was Moses who told the people, you know, you know, before he died, you know, he's old and he says, hey, everybody, Joshua's the next in command, follow him. And the people in obedience to Moses, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll follow we'll follow what you say, Moses, and we're going to follow Joshua. And, you know, that's beautiful. But when the people see 
the Jordan River becomes dry ground, now they know, okay, the Lord is with Joshua. You see, it's one thing for Moses to say, hey, everybody, follow Joshua. And, you know, in obedience to Moses, because they had reverence for Moses, they say, okay, we're going to follow Joshua. But when the Lord makes the water dry ground and the people see it and, you know, just as the first generation had passage, now the second generation has passage on dry ground. Now they know, okay, Moses says the Lord was with Joshua and now we see it with our eyes. The Lord is with Joshua. You see? In verse 15, then the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, command the priests who bear the ark of the testimony to come up from the Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priests saying, see, you, know, you see, Joshua hearing, Joshua doing. In verse 17, Joshua therefore commanded the priests saying, come up from the Jordan. This is real time guidance. And that's what I love so much about when you have deep relationship with the Lord and deeper, deeper intimacy with the Lord. You have real-time guidance. We have guidance from His Word, but then there's also real-time guidance. Just like uh, Paul, remember when they were going to go into regions of Asia Minor and the Holy Spirit says, no, go into Macedonia. Real-time guidance. Everybody was afraid of Jerusalem. And, you know, the apostles and the, the Philip and all these, the, the people that were with Paul, don't go to Jerusalem, don't go to Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit was saying, go to Jerusalem. The Lord was leading to Jerusalem. Chains and tribulations await you. But I will be with you. You see, chains and tribulations await you. Where do we see the red letters in Jerusalem? With Paul. In no way, shape, or form am I suggesting that the Lord wasn't with the other apostles. He absolutely was. But there's something different about Paul. He's not like the average bear. And those in his entourage, those who he's training in the next generation of leadership, they're not like the average cubs. He's training them. He's teaching them for war. Equipping them for war. Just so happens that we're starting. It just so happens. It just so happens that we're starting our study in the pastoral epistles. We continue in verse 18. <clears throat> verse 18. And it came to pass when the priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord had come from the midst of the Jordan and the souls of the, of the priests touched and the soles of the priest's feet touched the dry land that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. You see, the people passed on dry ground. Think about how treacherous it would have been, you know, like, you know, passing through water, like the floating on water and think about how treacherous that journey would have been. But no, dry ground, nice and easy. Just as the Lord teaches, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Those are promises of the Lord. I mean, if you are walking and you feel 
heavy laden. These are little red flags, in some cases big red flags. Because Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And if you're like, well, wait a second, I'm I'm heavy laden, I'm heavy burdened, and oh my goodness, this is not light. These are little red flags. Little red flags to help us with our formula to make sure we're on the right track. Look at Peter. Remember when Peter was beaten and thrown in jail? And he's beaten and thrown in jail and you wonder, it's like, well, wait, that's, that's not, that's not a light burden. That's a heavy burden. Look at that. I mean, he was beaten. That's a heavy, I mean, that's from the outside looking in, it's like, oh my goodness, that's a heavy burden. But from the inside looking out, from the inside looking out, Peter rejoiced. Why did he rejoice? Because he was counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of the Lord. Because we can look at that situation and be like, well, you know, uh, okay, so Peter's beaten. He's thrown in jail. Okay, so a carnal solution would be, okay, he's getting beaten. Okay, let's join in the fight and help him in his fight. A carnal solution would say, okay, we, we missed the fight, but he's in jail. Okay, let's go, you know, sneak in at night and bust him out. These are carnal solutions. You know, they're solutions, but they're carnal. But then you go to Peter and say, hey, Peter, freshly beat down. Hey, Peter, how do you feel about this? I mean, you know, how, do you, how do you think I feel, you know? But hey, Peter, how do you feel about this? And all of a sudden he's rejoicing and he's like praising the Lord. He's like freshly beat down. You can barely hear him because he's like just freshly beat down. Hey, Peter, how do you feel about this? And he's rejoicing. You see, he's different. He's not the Peter he used to be. He's different. No red flags in Peter. You figure, how can this be? Peter's freshly beat down and he's rejoicing. Look at this heavy burden that was placed on Peter and he's rejoicing. It's very easy to apply carnal solutions to any problem. But do the carnal solutions beget things of the spirit? The answer is no. Things of the flesh beget more of the flesh. Things carnal beget more things carnal. But Peter's different. He's been transformed by renewing of his mind. He's different to where the burden of the beatdown is now a, a source of rejoicing, a source of joy for him. He's different. Because the cornerstone in his heart Remember the Holy Spirit adding brick by brick by brick in his heart. Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, and the Spirit adding brick by brick by brick by brick. He's new. He thinks differently. There's something different about Peter. In Peter, 
the words of the Lord, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It is absolutely true. And sometimes Christians, we get ourselves in trouble because we look through carnal eyes. We see through carnal eyes. We understand with a carnal mind and we cannot do that. Because they are spiritually discerned. To understand that in Peter, no red flags. In us, the red flags. You see? And when I say red flags, it's a greater impetus for you and me to reckon the old man dead, to reckon the old woman dead, so that we can be like Peter, who is a pattern. You see, following Peter, it is safe. And don't forget, Peter is not without correction. Correction from the Lord and correction from Paul. So, following Peter, it is safe, but then when Peter goes back to the law or attempts to go back to the law, living in hypocrisy, and Paul called him on it, and what's so beautiful about Peter is that you see repentance in the aftermath because later in Peter's letters, he says, listen, you know, Paul speaks about things that are difficult to understand, but follow him because he knows what he's talking about. The Lord is using him. That's just so beautiful about Peter. Look at the humility of Peter. When he's chastised by Jesus, when Jesus straight up tells him, get behind me, Satan. It's like, whoa. You don't see Peter, you know, head for the hills. Oh, you hurt my feelings. You hurt my feelings. You see Peter like, you know, get right with the Lord. Paul rebukes Peter to his face publicly in the front, in front of people, not privately, to his face in front of people. And you don't see Peter run away like, oh, you know, you hurt my feelers, Paul. How dare you? You're so mean. And look, I'm going to go over here. I'm going to go to this other church over here. And you're so mean and you're crazy and you lost your mind. And you know, oh, you know what? You're so mean-spirited, Paul. No, Paul gets right with the Lord. Or Peter gets right with the Lord. To understand like, you know what, Paul? You're right. You see, it's safe to follow. The Lord has these people as vessels. Following Paul, safe. Following Peter, safe. Especially the example of humility in Peter. Following Jude, safe. John, safe. And even in correction. Remember Apollos? The Lord used Apollos, but he also was corrected by Priscilla and Aquila. You see, the baptism of the Spirit. Because Apollos was teaching the baptism of, of John only, the baptism of repentance, which is good, which is beautiful. But don't forget the baptism of the Spirit. Beautiful. And so we continue here in verse 19. Joshua 4, verse 19. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they camped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. See, the day of judgment for Jericho, it's coming. It's coming. And you have the camp of Israel on the east. Judgment is coming to Jericho from the east. Very interesting. Does that sound familiar? 
In verse 20, And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. Gilgal translates as the uh, uh, circle of stones. Then he spoke in verse 21, Then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, or ask their fathers hereafter, saying, What are these stones? This is so powerful and so beautiful. The curiosity of a child. What are these stones? In verse 22, Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. This is so beautiful, so powerful. The curiosity of a child. Picture that walking, walking through Gilgal. You got holding the hand of baby girl, little tiny hand. You're holding the little tiny hand of baby girl. Papa, what is this? Papa, what are these stones? Papa, what is this? What does the dance say? Oh, I'm too busy. Don't bother me with that. Oh, you're too young to understand. Oh, I work for a living. Go ask your mom. Oh, we're too busy. Go ask the pastor. Oh, I need my sleep. Parents, my beautiful brothers, my beautiful sisters in Christ. Parents, I love you. But never forget the millstone. I love you. Parents, moms and dads, I love you. But don't forget the millstone. Jesus Christ is the one who says, anybody who causes a little one to stumble... He says it is better for that person to take a big millstone, tie a rope around it, and tie the other end of the rope around your neck and throw it into the sea. And Jesus Christ says it is better for that person who who causes a little one to stumble. And the Lord is saying the millstone is better? What does that say about the little ones? How important they are to the Lord. They might not be important to you. But what does that say about how important they are to the Lord? And when you align yourself to the Lord, you know what happens? Those little ones now become important to you. Oh, but I don't have time. I got, you know, five kids. I got eight kids. You should have thought about it. Kids don't just, you know, the stork doesn't deliver kids. Newsflash. They don't just show up at the doorstep. Kids are a result of, you know, some business. They don't just show up. They're not delivered by the stork. You see, sometimes parents, it's like, well, I don't want the responsibility. Well, you should have thought about that. You should have thought about that. Now that we're in this situation, and I love you, you know, men, women, moms and dads out there, I love you, brother, sister in Christ. I love you, but this, 
Never, ever, ever forget the millstone. And that's what's so beautiful about, you know, getting older, you know, because, you know, I'm getting old. You know, I'm getting old. And so when in getting old, sometimes, you know, uh, uh, parents, you know, like a dad will say, hey, I want you to pray for my daughter. You know, it's like, well, OK, what, what, what's, what's happening with your daughter? Well, you know, she's dating this guy or, you know, she's out with these friends and doing this. And I'm afraid for her. And what's so beautiful about getting old is that now you have this backdrop of history. You say, wait a second. I, I remember when she was eight years old. I remember when she was five years old. I remember when she was 10 years old, when she was 12 years old. And you had no time for her. I remember when she was eight years old and she wanted to talk with you and you just blew her off. Oh, go talk to your mom. Oh, go do this. You know. Remember our study through Ephesians 5 and 6. Husbands, men. The book stops with you. Husbands, men, dads. The book stops with you. You can attempt to pawn off responsibility. But when you're standing before the Lord, that ain't happening. You see? Forget not the millstone. Look at the eight-year-old in the example we gave earlier. I say example, but it's a real-world example. An eight-year-old who hears a girl, that he's at school, public school, sitting in his, in his seat. And the eight-year-old girl says, I will perform these sexual favors for you. The eight-year-old boy has no idea what it is. Terms that he's never heard before in his life. Now, when his dad is godly. Come on, son, we're going to talk about this. You know, hey, dad, what does this mean? And there's the, the shock, like a, a dad, like, oh, okay, we're, good. we're having this conversation early. I thought I'd have the conversation maybe when you were a teenager, but no, you're eight years old and we're having this conversation now. Why? Because you're in a war, son. You're in severe combat, son. And you're not going to be a casualty, son. Not on my watch. You see? You're not going to be a casualty of war, son. Not on my watch. Because I have a responsibility to train you, to equip you. So, here we go. We're having this conversation, son. Training the next generation of righteousness. But we live in the age of dumb dads. We live in the age of dumb parents. Parents who don't train the next generation. When I say dumb, he's like, well, that's so mean. Okay, I'll say it like Paul says it. We're living in the age of parents that are idiotes, where we get the word idiot from. We'll go biblical. You know, I, you know, I don't like how you say dumb. Okay, I won't say dumb. I don't like how you say idiot. Okay, I won't say idiot. I'll just do it like Paul says, like the Bible says. We're living in the age of parents who are idiotes. Idiotes without understanding. Also, where we get the word idiot, a derivative of the word of the word stupid and dumb, but that's beside the point. Idiotes. Because parents aren't training their kids. 
Parents aren't teaching their kids. In some cases, a lot of cases, the parents themselves are compromised. Why? Because they're involved in the very sin that they don't want their kids to be in. Hey, son, I don't want you to get involved with sex and drugs and alcohol, but hold on. My, my crack dealer's on the phone. Hey, son, I don't want you to go, go do the sex or whatever, but hold on. My friend is calling me. He wants to go to the strip club. Hold on, son. Hey, son, I don't want you to get drunk, but you know what? Yeah, I had a little party last night, and I was with the guys, and we did this last night. You see, they're compromised. The dad is compromised. You see? Remember our study through Ephesians 5 and 6. For wives, for husbands, for men, for dads, for kids. And the spiritual warfare as well, Ephesians 6. Very important in these last days. I mean, it was, it was important 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years. But as we get further in the depths of the last days, as Satan intensifies his attacks. I mean, this, this war, spiritually speaking... It's not getting better. I mean, sometimes people think, oh, I'm going to be a Christian and everything's going to be fine and dandy. No, in the last days, this war is intensifying. It's intensifying. I mean, you, you talk to any veteran who's been in combat and you see right before their victory in, uh, in, uh, in the theater of war, right before their victory is the most intense firefights. It's kind of like, you know, like, you know, the, uh, the Alamo for the enemy. It's like, you know, okay, we're, we're losing the fight, but so we're just going gusto. They know they're going to die and they're just going, they're just going, you know, all out. And you see the tempo of the battlefield. It is most intense when the enemy knows he's losing. What about Satan? Who, yes, roams around like a lion waiting for whom he may devour. And don't forget the demons, the demon leaves a guy. Remember our study in the book of Matthew, the demon leaves a guy, but then the demon goes back and gets his friends and they come back and the state of that man is worse if he's not equipped. And Satan, who knows his time is short, think about how intense this war is going to get. This is nothing right now. People say like, oh my goodness, you know, it's, it's perilous times right now. It's perilous times right now. And yes, I see that. You think it's going to get better? Don't deceive yourselves. It's going to get worse. This is nothing. This is, you know, it's not even a walk in the park. It's like a little galloping through the lily fields. That's the present state. And a lot of Christians say, wow, it's perilous right now. Okay, yeah, I get that. But like a fraction of the peril that it's going to be as Satan intensifies his attacks and his fights because he knows his time is short. A demon leaves a guy, a demon leaves a gal, praise be to the Lord. But if you go on spiritual vacation and you're not equipped, that demon is not is coming back and he's not coming back alone. He's coming back with his friends who are worse than he is. You think you're going to be able to fight? That's why the Bible says the state of that person is worse than the first state. So a person's addicted to sex 
and you know is freed, has victory in Christ. But then all of a sudden, go you know, it, there's no training, no equipping. Oh, I want to go to church that I feel good about myself. You know, I want to go to church that doesn't tell me about you know doesn't teach me about how to train, how to fight. I'm gonna to go to this church. He tells me jokes, and he only teaches for ten minutes, and he tells me these jokes. I laugh. I feel good about myself. You know, we go grave soaking after church. We soak in the 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 the, the spirit of dead people. I don't want to hear about doctrine and. There's a guy I hear who says, you know, don't do that. That's an abomination before the Lord. But he's too mean-spirited. There's no equipping. And if there's no equipping, the demons are going to come back. And when the demons do come back, such a person isn't ready for that fight. But when you're equipped and the demons come back, the demons know. Remember the, the, the demons with the sons of Siva? Jesus I know. Paul I know. But who in the world are you guys? You see? Who in the world are you? The demons knew Jesus. The demons knew Paul. You see? And the sons of Siva, they ran away naked. They lost the fight. No victory. Why is there no victory? Look at the formula. The formula is out of whack. Parents, I love you, but forget not the millstone. Picture Gilgal. You're walking. You have a little tiny hand in your hand. Papa. Papa, what are these stones? Remember, there's 12 stones there. Stones from every tribe. Look at that immense amount of information you can give a child. Walking in Gilgal, Papa, what are these stones? The fool would say, you know, get away from me. I, I, you bother me, kid. I don't got time for you, kid. I don't got time for you, son. I don't, time, I don't have time for you, baby girl. Oh, I'm busy. I work for a living. I bring home the bacon. Go ask your mom. Fools. Men, don't forget our study through Ephesians 5 and 6. Men, the buck stops with you. A lot of men like to pawn off their responsibilities. Don't do that. If that's you, man, repent and get right with the Lord. Forget not the millstone. I love you. I love you. My beautiful brothers in Christ. But forget not the millstone. You cause a little one to stumble. Jesus Christ says it is better. The millstone is better for you. You think you're not going to give an account? Causing a little one to stumble? And talking to dad. Oh, can you pray for my daughter? Can you pray for my son? What's the problem? Sure, you know, I have no problem. What's the problem? You know, what's happening? Well, she's dating this guy. Well, he's dating this girl or their guy with these friends and they do drugs and all these things. It's like, I remember when you blew her off when she was five years old, when she was eight years old, when she was 10 years old, when she was 12 years old, when she was 15 years old. I remember when you blew her off. Dear old dad. And yeah, you know, I'll, I'll pray for her. I'll pray for him. But let me tell you something, oh man. 
you are reaping the very seeds that you sowed years ago. Or I should say it this way, you are reaping the very seeds that you failed to sow. Oh, but I got eight kids. Well, you should have thought about that. The stork, they don't just they don't just show up at the doorstep. The stork doesn't ring the doorbell and knock on the door and say, here's your kid. No, it takes two to tango, remember? I mean, I say remember, but I meant like... I mean, that's how it is. So you're walking in Gilgal. Baby girl says, Papa, what are these stones? Look at all. You have a stone from Manasseh. Look at what you can say about Manasseh. You have a stone for Dan. Look at what you can say about Dan. You see, how beautiful is it to pour into the next generation of righteousness? Because they're going where you can't go. They're going into the future. Your life will expire. I mean, in accordance to Adam, your life will expire. But your kids, your grandkids, they're going to go into the future. Sometimes I have conversations with people. Oh, what my legacy, my legacy. I want to leave my kids with this. I want to leave my kids with that. And I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And I want this for them. I want... Where is Jesus? You know what's better? Forget all that stuff. Give them Jesus. That your kids and grandkids can walk with Jesus. Baby girl says, Papa, what is, what is this stone? What, is, what are these stones? The curiosity of a child pouring into the next generation of righteousness. You see? And when the children ask in verse 21, we see, what are these stones? Then you shall let your children know in verse 22, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. You know what's sad? I mean, this is a beautiful, beautiful, what this blueprints and instructions that the Lord is giving. But what's sad, remember when we looked at Joshua chapter one in our study in Joshua chapter one, and we looked into the future of Israel. We look into the future of Israel and you see Israel is right with the Lord while Joshua is living, while the elders are living. Joshua dies, the elders die, and that generation of Israel doesn't know the Lord. And all of a sudden they start to worship the Baals, the asterisks, and they become apostate. They turn to harlotry and become apostate. How does this apostasy come into Israel? The absence of leadership. Leadership matters. How does apostasy come into the church? Because it is prophesied to happen and it is happening. How does apostasy enter the church? You see? Where are the teachers? 
Where are the pastors? Where are the elders? Where are the bishops? Where are the deacons? You see, a lot of times people say, well, you know, this church structure, you know, a council of elders and we need multiple pastors and multiple elders because we want to make sure that the godly stay godly. A biblical truth, absolutely a biblical truth, but the formula's got to be right. It must be right among the pastors and the elders, the overseers. The formula must be right. Well, we have a council of elders. Okay, let me see the elders. Okay, we have 10 people here, a table of 10 people. Okay, you tell me they're elders? Okay, let's look. Let's look at the qualifiers. Okay. I see four females. Okay, females, I love you, but bye-bye. Out. Formula's got to be right. Oh, you're so mean. You're so mean. Listen, if you're an elder, you understand. If you think you're an elder, you must understand that overseers align themselves to God's holy word. Now, if you're listening the first time, you're like, oh my goodness, he's, you know, anti-woman, anti-woman. No, listen, from coverings, Old Testament, New Testament, coverings, always male, always male, always male. Jesus Christ, male covering. Esther had a covering, Mordecai. You see, look at the church. Coverings, Paul. Peter, you see, you say, well, Chloe was a covering. Okay, fellowship of females, completely understandable. But when the beef arose in Corinth, what did she do? She goes to the covering male, Paul. You see, still a vessel of the Lord. Still a titan in the faith, still a warrior, beautiful, beautiful warrior. But she understood the formula. So you say you're a pastor. Say you're a pastor. You're a pastor. Hey, you know what? Come check out our church. We have this council of elders. Come check out our, our, the inner sanctum. We want you to come to this meeting and, you know, make sure everything's on the up and up. How many overseers are there? There's 10, a council of 10, because the Bible says a council of elders. Okay. Just so you know, pastor, the formula's got to be right. So now we're in the room. Closed doors. 10 people. Okay. Ladies, bye. I love you, but... Bye. Four of them. Four leave. So six guys left over. Who does the pornography? Who goes to the strippers? Who goes to the prostitutes? Who who does crack and does the meth? Smokes the marijuana. Who does the Ouija boards? Who does the occults? Who practices yoga? You say, well, you're throwing yoga in there? Yes, absolutely. I'm throwing, you know, sun salutation? You think the sun salutation is permissible in the eyes of the Lord? 
elder, pastor, overseer. You see? Who's the gambler? Who goes gambling? Who goes to the casinos? You see? Who's divorced and on their second marriage, third marriage? Whose kids have problems with pornography, drugs, alcohol? Because we want to make, remember, the formula's got to be right. And we're just talking about the this inner sanctum, the inner council, so to speak. That was 10. And the formula has to be right. Why? Yes, there's an element so we can be right with the Lord. But you know what the greater element is? It's for the people. It's for the saints in the fellowship. So that they can have entry into the promised land. So they can learn how to fight, be trained, be equipped. So they can learn about Jesus Christ and grow and mature in Christ. You see? And it's all for the glory of the Lord. So the Council of Ten, okay? Ladies, I love you, but I'm sorry. Bye-bye. Six guys left over. Who does the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the Buddha, who's a tax cheat. Oh, you're so mean. Okay, listen. Before any of us leaves, you know, you have to understand that you're very mean-spirited and you're so mean-spirited and look, I have my doctorate over here and he's got his doctorate and she's got her doctorate and oh, we're a council of godly people and this and that and oh, look how awesome we are. Look, our church has 10,000 members and surely that's the fruit of the Spirit. That's not fruit of the Spirit. Don't confuse people with fruit of the Spirit. Don't confuse the number of people as fruit of the Spirit. See, the formula has to be right. Must be right. So in that council, after everything's said and done, there's just one guy left. You see? Biblical qualifiers. Biblical qualifiers. Now, this guy, you think, okay, it's safe to follow him? Okay, not yet. Now, for this one singular guy, you, one singular guy, repent. Repent. You need to be right with the Lord. Now you're right with the Lord. Now it's safe. It's safe for you to stand in the pulpit. And it's safe for the people. Biblical qualifiers. You see? And that's what's so powerful about these studies. Because we see the people, we see the camp of Israel. We see the law of the Lord. 
But then we see how the law impacts people in different ways. Because, yes, the Lord becomes forgotten again in the camp of Israel, but not with everybody. Look at Rahab. <laughs> Look at her lineage. Look at Ruth. You see? Samuel, Hannah. Not with everybody. With everybody, they're different. They're not like the average bear. No, with everybody, like within everybody, like a remnant within a remnant. You see, people, men, women, young, old, who are not like the average bear. Something different about this guy. There's something different about this boy. There's something different about this lady. There's something different about this girl. Love of the Lord and the fear of the Lord. So you're walking in Gilgal. And you got a little tiny hand in your hand. You got big footprints and little tiny footprints. And you hear a voice. Papa, what are these stones? You know how beautiful that is? Just to sit down. Oh, baby girl, let me tell you so much. Let me tell you about this. Let me pour into you, baby girl. My son, let me pour into you. My daughter, let me pour into you. Let me teach you. Because you're going where I can't go, which is the future. You see? In verse 22, then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land, for the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. You see how personal this is? And also very enjoining because, like, this is your people. This is your people. Baby girl, I know I'm your dad. My son, I know I'm your dad. But this is your people. The camp of Israel. This is your people. It's like with us, you know, I know we have biological family. But don't forget heirs of Abraham. A lot of times people say, oh, family is everything. Family is everything. Oh, I'm your, I'm your aunt. I'm your uncle. I'm your great grandpappy. I'm this, I'm that. It's like, that's not, you know, look, I love you. I love you, biological family. Yes, I love you. But heirs of Abraham? By faith in Jesus Christ? That's a different ballgame. It's a different family. Different bloodline. It's the blood of Christ. This is your people. You read the Bible, we're looking at Israel, we're looking at Joshua, you know. Moses... Aaron, Hannah, Samuel, this is our people. Paul, Peter, Chloe. Remember the women who were sawn in two from Hebrews? I mean, the book of Hebrews. Wandered in the wilderness, sawn in two. This is our family. This is our lineage. 
You see? Heirs of Abraham by faith in Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High. A bloodline that is holy. A bloodline that is not of this world. So you're walking. You got the little tiny, little tiny hand in your hand. You got your big footprints, little tiny footprints next to you. Papa, what are these stones? Look at how you can pour into the next generation. And then in verse 23, look how personal it becomes for the Lord, your God. Baby girl, the Lord is for us. The Lord is for me. But baby girl, the Lord, he's yours too. For the Lord, your God, my son. For the Lord, your God, my daughter. He dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. Not just is it personal in terms of like the Lord is ours, the Lord is mine, but the Lord is yours too. But then also the inclusion of, listen, these are your people. The branch doesn't support the root. Romans 11. You see, replacement theology is a lie from the pit of hell. It's beautiful. This is your people. I mean, you open up the Bible. I mean, when you're a Christian, I mean, if you're not a Christian, you know, come to Christ, you know, hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ, and you commit your life to Christ right here, right now. You come back, you listen, we grow together. We mature together in Christ and we journey along onward to paradise. But you open up your Bible, it's like, wow, this, this is our lineage. Joshua, Phineas, Aaron, Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Hannah, Ruth, Naomi, Chloe, Mark, Luke, Dr. Luke, little Timmy, little Timmy, Titus. This is our lineage. And so look, we continue in verse 23. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you crossed, until you had crossed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. That all the peoples of the earth may know the hand, may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty. You see? The Lord, he makes himself known. And people see that he is mighty. But at the same time, I mean, look at, say you have Canaanites, where while Israel was in bondage, Pharaoh was God on earth. Egypt was almighty. 
and you have Canaanites that fear the Lord or, or, or fear Pharaoh. Don't mess with Pharaoh because you know he's going to mess us up. We are in submission to Pharaoh. I mean, speaking if you're Canaanite. But then all of a sudden, the Lord destroys Egypt. That the might of Egypt becomes nothing. Now, as Canaanites, balls in our court, we have a choice to make. We can either continue to worship Baal, or we say, you know what? I thought Egypt was almighty, but no, there is greater than he, and it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel. And so we say, okay, Baal, no more. Bye-bye, Baal. Bye-bye, Molech. I'm going to worship the Almighty, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who, whose name was changed to Israel. I'm going to worship him. So we leave Canaan, and we enjoin to the camp of Israel. But not all the Canaanites do that. Not all the Moabites do that. Not all the Hittites and Hivites and Jebusites. Not all of them do that. Some. Look at Rahab. Look at all of Jericho. And only Rahab and those in her home. You see, not everybody. A remnant. But even that. Remember, baby girl asked in verse 21. Papa, what are these stones? What are these stones? And in pouring into the next generation of righteousness, yes, in verse 24, that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty. But it's much deeper and much more personal for you, baby girl. Why? That you, baby girl, may fear the Lord your God forever. But you. Yes, the Lord made himself known beautifully, wonderfully. But as for you, baby girl, as for you, my son, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. You know how this translates in the Hebrew? Every single day. Now, the Lord put these blueprints here in Joshua 4. Twelve stones and memorial stones. Zikron, you know? Eben Zikron. Memorial stones. And when the gener when the kids ask, you know, what are these stones? Tell them. You see, these are twelve stones of the tribes, but don't forget the 12 stones that Joshua put in the midst of the river. But at the same time, in these considering stones of remembrance, don't forget in your own personal testimony, in your own walk with the Lord, as you remember him, that those very things can be the, 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 the very hooks that can be used to Tell the next generation. You see? This is what the Lord did for me, my son. This is what the Lord did for me, my beautiful daughter. This is what the Lord did to me. And sometimes I've had these conversations with Christians and, you know, they're like, oh man, you know, I was born in the church and I, I, I wasn't, I, I wasn't involved in this. I wasn't involved with that. And so I don't have this testimony. That's the best testimony. 
to not be made dirty from this world, to not have that corruption of this world. I mean, there's still an element of corruption because we're in this flesh, but it's not like, you know, the depths of the sin that's in this world. And praise be to the Lord, don't feel down on yourself. It's a beautiful testimony because it's one that has walked with the Lord from a young age. Don't feel bad about it. Feel beautiful about it. But that's also what's beautiful about the fellowship of the saints. You have a 15-year-old boy. He says, Papa, you know, my friends, They, you know, I, I like my friends and they're my close friends. And, you know, Papa, my friends, they, they, they want me to do marijuana, the gateway drug. They want me to do the marijuana. What do I do, Dad? And the dad's like, well, I've never, I, I've never done marijuana, no crack, no sex, no nothing. So, you know, like... I can't tell you, I, I honored the Lord when I was your age. So, you know, I didn't have friends like that. And let's go talk to this brother in the church. Come on, son. Let's go talk to this brother. You see, that's bearing one another's burdens. And this other brother that, you know, the you have the dad and the son. They go to this other brother and this they all bear one another's burdens. And because, remember in our study in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, how when we looked at the translations in the Greek, habitual sin, no habitual sin. How Paul says, where you see habitual sin, separate from that person. Because it is leaven. See, the church is in trouble. Because in this example we gave, you have the the son comes to the dad. Dad, you know, my friends want to do crack or my friends want to do marijuana, the gateway drug. And dad's like, well, I've been in the church my whole life. I never mess with that stuff. And so I, I, I can't, you know, I can encourage you and tell you to walk with the Lord. And, you know, if you do the crack, you know, you're going to, you know, it's going to be house of pain. I love you, son, but it's going to be house of pain. And I don't want you to do that. But I want to further help you. I don't have a history with that. But let's go to this other brother. Now, when the pastor the formula is right in the pastor and he keeps the house clean no habitual sin you're going to have a guy in the church who was former marijuana former crack former meth all the former 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 no habitual sin that's the old man and now it is safe for this dad to take his son to this former crackhead, to this former meth head, to this former pothead. It is safe because now the pothead, the crackhead, the meth head can tell the son, oh, you know what? Your dad is right. Don't mess with it. He didn't mess with that stuff, but I did. He, he, he listened to his parents. He listened to the pastor. But you know what? My parents were, the formula wasn't right in them. And I didn't listen to my parents. I just walked my own way and I got trapped. And, you know, grace, praise to the Lord. And by his grace, he saved me. And by his mercy and his love, he saved me. And is the might of his hand, he saved me. And you know what? The crack, the meth, the pot, it's history. No more. But it took its toll on me. I mean, like, look at my teeth. It took its toll on my teeth. And not just that, it took its toll on, you know, you know, the, the, the marriage, it's destroyed, you know, I'm divorced and, you know, and divorce is not to say, you know, you get divorced and you're a free guy to get married again. No, you're divorced. No, it's, you're done. Otherwise, it's called adultery. 
You know, like I, I sold my car, I sold my house and all so I can buy my meth and buy my my uh, my opiates and buy the meth and buy the crack and the marijuana and all these things. And my wife left me and all this, you know, I used to beat on her and I would cheat on her and she left me and all these things. And she's still alive and she made her choice. And it's not bad on her because I was the one who was unfaithful. I broke the marriage contract. I broke the marriage covenant. She rightfully left. And it's not to say like, okay, you're, you're, you're single again. You're free to, you know, date and free to go to the bars and free to marry. No, 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 no. That's adultery. You see? And so the former meth head, the former crackhead, the former, former can say to the son, hey, you know, your dad is right. Look at my teeth. Look at the fruit of it. Look at the fruit of my decisions. Look at the rotten fruit of my choices. I got the meth mouth. I got the, my marriage is destroyed. I lost my home. My kids won't talk to me. You see, what's happening is he's reaping what he has sown. Sometimes people, they think repentance is like, okay, you know, I'm sorry, and things go back to normal. No, that's not the case. We still have to reap what we have sown. When the formula is right in the pastor, he keeps the house of God clean. Yes, this guy has a history of meth and crack and alcohol and marijuana and all, but that's history books. He has stones of remembrance himself. And in these stones of remembrance, in his own personal testimony, and he's not habitual, he's not, you know, going back and it's not like, oh, I got habitual sin with meth, oh, I got habitual sin with alcohol, oh, I got habitual sin with sex and pornography and alcohol and all these different things and Buddha and crack and whatever. No, the pastor is keeping the house of God clean. Think how dangerous it would be for the guy, the dad to take his son to a guy who's addicted to pornography and meth and marijuana and crack. And then all of a sudden the dad says, hey, son, go talk to this guy. The son's going to be worse. It would have been better for him to do marijuana with his friends. But now he's doing marijuana, crack and meth and sex and all these different things with somebody who's stuck in habitual sin. Now the son gets sucked into that lifestyle. Why? Because the pastor didn't keep the house clean. You see, it all trickles down. Formula, formula, formula. But now when it is safe, the house of God is clean. The stones of remembrance in terms of personal testimony with the former drug addict. Former, former, former addict no more. Habitual sin, no more. Cleansed before the Lord and cleansed by the Lord. Now, all of a sudden, it's safe for the dad to say, son, let's go talk with this guy, a brother in the church. And we're going to bear one another's burdens. Your burden because, you know, you can't, you, these friends want to do crack. These friends want to do marijuana, the gateway drug. And that's a burden on you because you like your friends. 
Come on, let's go hang out with this guy. Let's go talk to this guy. You see? Bearing one another's burdens. And now this former druggie, this former crackhead, can pour into the sun. And not just comfort the sun, but reassure the son in his choice to stand in the Lord and be firm in the Lord. And now the kid, when he goes to school, he's not bummed out by his friends saying, oh, you know, if you don't want to do crack with us, if you don't want to do meth with us, then, you know, you can't be our friend anymore. He's like, that's nice. Bye bye. I let you know, I want you open door. You want to come to church with me? You know, open door. But I'm not doing that. I'm standing firm in my decision. You see how this trickles down? And trickles up. <laughs> the fellowship of the saints. Koinonia. Episunagage. Ecclesia. A body of those who are called. Not a social club. It's beautiful. We see in closing verse 24. That you my son. That you baby girl. That you may fear the Lord your God forever. It is every single day to fear the Lord. Don't forget, in the fear of the Lord, you learn trusting the Lord. You learn to love the Lord deeper and deeper and deeper. And understanding also that in that framework, you also understand that there's a future hope which is fulfillment of the law, which is Jesus Christ. See, and in the law, a shadow of the things to come. And he's coming again. Praise be to the Lord. We're going to end our study here. Pick up in chapter 5 next week to the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.